0: Moat on the volley and yeah the corner. What a start for West Bromwich Albion! Kaku! Unbelievable!
1: West Bromwich Albion have ruined his big day again, and it's Adam Wingy who gets the final touch. And West Bromwich Albion now have a two-goal cushion.
0: The Baggies podcast giving you the latest news, views, and opinions on all things Albion. Hello and welcome back to the Baggies podcast, where of course we're giving you all the latest news, views and opinions on all things Albion. Today we're back again for another Match Reaction episode, chatting today about the 3-0 loss against Fulham at Craven Cottage at Saturday lunchtime. We'll also be having a look ahead in this episode to next week's game on Wednesday against Hull City. And since it's Halloween weekend, we'll be asking you for your most shocking players that you've seen for West Bromwich Albion. But for today's episode to chat about all these things, we are joined by the very talented Liam Harris. Liam, how are you? Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm very good. Obviously, uh, a little bit scarred after this afternoon, but that's um, part of being an Albion fan. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. it's, it's it, it can be rough at times, but it, it's all worth it, hopefully, in the end. But Liam, uh, people may uh, may recognize your name and recognize your your work from an Albion perspective. What sort of things have you been doing that Albion fans might recognize?
2: Um, so it uh, started with um, uh, the program covers in the season we got promoted uh, during lockdown. So I was brought on board to do program covers for that season uh, with a bit of a illustration comic book twist, which took off pretty well, actually. Um you know, I think the club were looking for a sort of push to the younger audience to, you know, when uh, families take their kids to a match day, you know, they want a souvenir to take home with them. And it was sort of, let's see if we can target kids to, you know, want to pick them up and, you know, have something to read and look at at half time and stuff like that. So we they brought me on board to um, to sort of freshen up the programme a bit and it sort of took on from there. And, you know, I'm still doing illustrations stuff for the club, whether it be for the foundation or, you know, the main club as well. So... Yeah, it's good, and you know, every now and then, when results are good, they'll pull me in.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And is it a case of when we get a, a decent result, you get you get pulled in to make a little little art little um, picture of somebody who's who's done particularly well in that game?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess obviously with with the way social media is, you know, you don't you it's hard to start praising and pumping up things when you know things aren't going so well. And obviously, as well, some fans will then target whoever's done it. So (laughs) uh, Sometimes you can be the backlash of a bad result. And obviously, the club are nice enough to not put me in that position, which is really, really nice of them. Um, But obviously, as well, you you know, you want fans to get pumped up. You want them to be, you know, retweeting things and, you know, pushing things out there and stuff like that. So it's a good time to get stuff out there when people are hyped up and, you know, results are going well. So, uh, yeah, no, they get me in when things are going good. And I still, you know, offer them the chance when things are going bad to pick it up again. But... You know they've got they've got what they want to do, so I come in when uh, when needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and sort of how long? So you say you've been doing that since the start of this the promotion seasons. How often would you say that you get brought in now and again to to do to do these artworks for for the club?
2: Uh, at, at least at least once a month. Uh, before it was a lot more obviously with with lockdown and the way you know the way money was being spent at clubs. You, you know things like uh, bringing in illustrators and an animator is not necessarily a priority you know it's more it's more seen as a luxury sort of thing so you know we you know it was sort of a case of that we put on the back burner for a little while um but no it was good and even you know even through uh the first lockdown when we were finishing off the programs you know they were still they still sold you know people were still buying them which was really nice and you know I managed to get the you know Bronte's last game program done which was really nice um and that you know that was a, that was a special one to have it be his last as well. Uh, But I I I sort of came on board at the end of the season before, really, because that's when we started having discussions, um, you know, about what we could do. Because obviously I come from an illustration and art and animation background Mm -hmm. um, from within children's television, hence my style. Um, And, you know, they sort of wanted to go down the junior baggage route, you know, what could we do with Baggy Bird, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then programs got brought up and, you know, I've done a lot of stuff for, you know, the kids side of things, whether it be for the shop, you know, you can buy some of the prints of the legends in cartoons and stuff like that. Um, and uh, just lately, we've been doing the the print that was sold for the, uh, the Bomber While and um, uh, Ali evening that was last week. You know, with all the profits going to the foundation, which is great, because we've raised, you know, hundreds and you know, and into the thousands for charity, which is great. You know, and if I can, you know, offer that sort of work to them, then you know, I'm, you know, I'm, all, I'm here for it. So, yeah, it's been really good, and I'm always here to pitch new ideas to them. You know, I get the I get uh, great chances to work with people like Liverpool, the Premier League, ATP tennis stuff like that. So when I get to bring some of the cool bits I do with them and say to the club, "Well, look what I'm doing for you know, bigger organizations stuff like that," this is. You know, these are the things that people are reacting to at the moment. Can we bring them to you know? You know, obviously we are a smaller club than people like Liverpool and Inter Milan who have worked with before. But you know, bringing that sort of cool energy and stuff like that into into our club it will just you know give them a bit of a boost, and especially with the younger audiences because they that's all they want to tweet and react to now. So which is is right up my street. So yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great to hear and great to see the work that you've been doing regarding the the foundation and obviously raising the the money for the foundation with um with the obviously printer of Ali Robertson, John Wall, and, and Tony Bomber Brown. How how amazing has that been to be to be producing that fantastic artwork but also raising money for that that great cause at the same time.
2: Yeah, well I I you know, what especially the foundation I've always said to them guys if you you are in a position where you you know you, you want to raise more funds um you know because obviously their traditional route isn't let's you know do a drawing and stuff like that it's more of a case of let's get hands on but during lockdown it was a guess of well what can we do from home and i said to them well you know i can give you something to go ahead and run with and you know i produced that piece uh i think it was the beginning of this year or the end of last year um with the knowledge of there being an evening where they were gonna you know be all there and talk to fans and stuff like that so we you know we timed it so that we could get them all out ready to be you know go on sale when you know the evening was there and you know it's really nice to be a part because obviously those three guys are my dad's heroes, which is really strange because you know, you know my obviously my history of them was you know I wasn't even born then, and I I think one of the first games I can ever remember was Bombers Testimonial when I was a kid, and my dad was a steward and he stuck me in with the away fans when he when we played Jamaica and lost one nil, and um, <laughs> so it's, it's strange that I'm now doing you know his drawing and he's sticking it on his wall and you know, all that sort of stuff, so it's. It's nice that it's sort of come full circle that, you know, I was drawing pictures of Bellby players when I was a kid before I became, you know, a full time animator and animation director. But to be able to give stuff back to the club now is is really nice, really special.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really great to hear and glad to see that that story sort of come into that full circle and, and sort of come to the fact that you're making things for the club and, and making things of those mm-hmm. icons that you your your dad saw play. But yeah, let's start off our match reaction if if we if if you don't mind Liam, let's uh, crack on yep. with a, a slightly more sour note today. A 3-0 loss, a bit of a bit of a Halloween horror show really for Albion, 3-0 at Craven Cottage against uh, a promotion rival Fulham. Starting off sort of pre-match and going into the game, obviously beating uh, beating Bristol City 3-0 in the previous game, losing to Swansea the game before. What were your thoughts and and feelings going into this 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 big hitting game?
2: yeah i i think right before the game i and I, you know i'd seen a lot of stuff from other people tweeting in the build up to this that i think this game more than any other fans were presuming we were going to walk away with nothing um, and i think i think it comes off the back of it seems that there seems to be a little bit of a pattern in the last couple of away games in particular where we don't know how to react to teams that want to press swansea did it stoke did it and you know fulham've done it today and we can't seem to, if we're going to play a high line, people are going to keep pinging balls you know, over the top and in behind. Fulham did that every chance they got. Swansea did it every time they got. Fortunately for us, Swansea took them 50 minutes to do it. But mm. it, during that 50 minutes, they were doing it every time. And I said, one of these is not going to be offside and he's going to score. Then on 50 minutes or 60 minutes, they got one and he was onside and he scored. And today they were just pinging balls around the back and we couldn't cope. And it seems like that we can get that right at home games because other teams feel like they need to sit back and soak it up, whereas when we're playing away, they push forward and we can't deal with that. So I kind of saw some of that coming. I didn't see the way we were going to concede coming, and I don't think anybody else did. But um, I think the sort of writing was on the wall from the start because things away from home haven't been addressed. And the pattern has been we're getting pressed, Stoke, Swansea, and today have all been the same, um, and at no point did we look threatening in any three. games. obviously we scored against Swansea, but that was a mistake by them. Mm-hmm. So um, he's got his work cut out for him to fix things away from home. At home we look we look fairly comfortable at times, but some, there's something not clicking away from home when we're trying to play that high line. Teams are just like, okay, well if that's the case, we'll stick somebody on the last man and ping the ball over the top, you know, and it seems to be working.
0: Yeah, it definitely lots so many chances come from just those. You mentioned the Swansea game, it, it took them a while, but
2: it certainly did. But they did the it end. all the time. Yeah. You you watch it from the get-go, they knew that where our line was gonna be. Every time, I think they had like twelve offsides in fifty minutes. Mm. We were like, Okay, this is great, we're gonna keep doing it. I said I you know, I said to myself, one of these is gonna get through and he's gonna score. And as soon as I said it, it happened. And, you know, today it was, you know, they were pinging balls over the top for Dick O'Donnell and players like that, and they're going to get in behind. I mean, there was that chance, I can't remember what was on, the, on their left-hand side, and he took two of our I think he took both Furlong and Ajayi on. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on those two players, and he cut into the middle, and fortunately for us, the other player blazed it over the bar. But again, it's a ball over the top and getting wrapped around behind because of our high line. And if you're going to play a high line, you need players who are going to be able to catch strikers and wingers quickly.
0: We don't. Yeah. We we don't have that. Yeah, it was Cabano, I think, who skinned both yeah, of them and then all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that and all of a sudden they were in again and it was because of that ball over the top. But Liam, going into this game, obviously there was one change made in the line. It was a bit of a bit of a bit of an error with the Twitter account, because I think most people thought that Robinson was starting when actually it was Hugo who was starting. But Malumbi came in for Livermore. What were your thoughts on, on that change made by Ismail?
2: Um <laughs> I might get a bit of stick for this. I've always been an advocate for Jake Livermore. I think the little things people miss and and it's that obviously, yes, he can be fairly rash in a challenge, but there's a a few occasions where people miss where he actually gets it back. And even if it's a two yard pass, we're through. Today, he didn't even get the chance to do that because we never won the ball in the middle of the park. I can't remember seeing us dominate in the middle at all. Um, and I think that's I think that's where we struggle with the most in away games. In in home games, we seem to be able to control it and dictate where we want it to go. He hasn't solved the riddle of away games for in the especially in the last four four away games. Um, I and it's a tri- it's a tricky one because obviously last week was great with Molumbi and Snodgrass, and obviously Snodgrass made that error today, which I think every player in their career has made an error like that. So we'll just sweep that one under the carpet. So, you know, it was an error, um, but I would you need a leader on the pitch and nobody speaks up louder than possibly Bartley or Livermore. So you need men and we're going to pick them up, you know, dust themselves off and go again. The problem was is that we were always, we were already uh, facing a mountain to climb by the time Livermore started to bark. You know what I mean? Mm. Before he started yeah. making those commands, it was like, okay, well, we've gone two 0 down to two complete, you know, um, mess ups and things like that. And I think, you sort of get drained at that point. Livermore's been with us for so long that he's, he's seen this script a thousand times. He, will have, he would have seen that and gone, I've been here so many times with West Brom. You know, I know what's going to happen, but how do I change it? And I think, I think Luck just ran out by, you know, by the third goal. In fact, by the red card, Luck had run out. Um, any chance of getting back in it? But, you know, we've got a, you've got a chance to make a fresh start against Hull because Hull are very poor this season. So I would potentially look to reignite that Snodgrass Mullumby partnership just to try it, but try it in a game where you know it's going to be effective. Today, I'm not so sure, I, I don't think it would have made a difference because they overrun us in the middle. And we, you know, we put ourselves in such a jeopardy from the start that I don't think wh- whoever was going to be up front or, you know, whether it was Hugo or Robinson, those balls never got up front. Yes, Hugo didn't do a lot and didn't offer much, but <laughs> I can't remember a ball being played in and around him. No, that's, You're a, that's striking, right. You want the ball played to you.
0: Yeah, and I, I found it really, I find it really hard to kind of because obviously Livermore's. I, I don't think he's anybody's favourite at the moment. I'm not really sure where this has all come from. All of a sudden, because most of the season, most people have just been, you know, clapping along to him and just saying he's been great. But all of a sudden, I suppose they've seen what Malumby can do, and it's all gone out the window with Livermore. But I just find it really hard to knock him because he's a player who is obviously giving every inch of his effort and he's he's a player that's just not afraid to back out of those tackles he's not a player that's afraid to for example to, yeah
2: that tackle he intercepted in the first half and he broke through he was mm, yeah you know yeah, he had three defenders in front of him there was no albion playing near him yeah. he won that ball and he had so much space and nobody thought okay well i'm gonna go and run him assist him anything nobody they all just stood and watched you know that's that's like Sunday League tactics. So if somebody wins the ball oh, they can do it on their own. And it's I could see I can see fighting him and I can see why people prefer the Snodgrass Millenby partnership because it's that sort of tiki tacky football sort of thing. But the problem was and that's not really a problem but you've got to look at who we were playing Bristol City were on an unbelievably bad run. Mm. And I think even if you'd have had Jake in there, I think we'd have swept them away still. Mm. Um because, you know, we've got the quality and the attacking prowess to, to to punish most teams in this division, especially a team who are on a bad run like Bristol City. So today, I think you needed that bit of grit, which was Jake. But the problem is, is that we we just, the cards we were dealt today were just not good. I think the tactics from the start looked like they were working. And even at the beginning of the second half, it looked like we were on the front foot. But we were just undone by just, I can't tell whether it's sheer luck, sheer, sheer incompetence. I'm not sure. But... Um, I, I, I can honestly see us turning around and beating the whole 4-0 on Wednesday. It's that we're in that sort of position where one thing goes wrong, a thousand things goes wrong. Yet, yeah, you know, when things are going for you in a game like if it, Bristol City started quickly, got a goal. And I think that, again, will happen against the um, whole next week as well.
0: Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, that that chance for Livermore when he broke forward as well, going back to that, I think actually Grant, kind of ran away from him like sort of just ran the opposite way which i thought was a bit strange i said i think i tweeted i think he ran time. to the back post
2: yeah he, i think he, he was running t- i think he was expecting a whip ball in but jake was jake stood there for a good you know second yeah. second and a half thinking do i shoot or am i going to pass it but i've got nobody to pass it to so i'll shoot so he shot and hit a defender yeah but if you if, if we're playing a high line where the hell is everybody else because your defenders are already touching the halfway line and he's on his own in their half
0: yeah, I, Hugo. I don't put, Hugo was kind of like I think Hugo was kind of behind him, and he wasn't keeping up with Livermore, which is a little bit worrying, to be honest. But then, you know, you have to ask like where Phillips was in that. I can't can't remember. Can't picture where he was on the pitch. It's just kind no. of like when you're squeezing up the pitch like that, you should expect all all ten of your outfield players to be sort of in that. Well, not obviously that high up the pitch in terms of centre backs, but wing backs and midfielders should be sort of catching up with him at that point.
2: Absolutely, and I think as well. Surely they would have recognised. Oh, Jake's not normally in this position. What's he going to do with it? Let's go and help him. But there was none of that because, you know, for example, if that was Grady, I'm sure you know nine of nine out of ten people would go. Oh, yeah, he can take a couple of people on and maybe get a shot off. But it's, it's Jake, and that's nothing on Jake. But I mean, he's he's the kind of guy who will hold the ball and wait till the next person comes along to give it to. Him. And there was nobody there, which is a real shame because if you flip the side and that was maybe Deckard over Re picking up the ball in the middle. You're going to have wingers wrapping around him and Mitrovic going. I want the ball. Mm. None of our guys did that, which is yeah. a shame because you know it would have been a good chance. And um, he was unlucky with the the ball in from um, from Townsend in the second half as well. Um, that was a centre midfielder's finish.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, he cleared it. He did Fulham's defending job for them, I think. I oh, just cleared it. He out did. Yeah, he could.
2: Yeah, he could have let that bounce off any part of his body and it would have gone in, but. Um, but yeah, but now again, he, I mean, he's he should he was the guy rushing to get into that space. And, um, you know, our ast- strikers and wingers weren't, yeah. And even uh, behind him, it was Furlong, was it? Uh, Furlong yeah, and Livermore, the ones on the line. Yeah, it was it was, it, was, it was it was, yeah, it was worrying
0: how you know people just looked at Livermore and thought, yeah, you can take that on your own. And I was just sat there not, going, don't let, don't let him think, take that on his own. Yeah,
2: I think, I think every season fans will look for a scapegoat um to vent all their frustrations on sadly every year that jake has been here there's been a period of about four weeks where he gets it he had it last year and he you know got kicked out of the side and the year before he definitely had it because i remember the period because i'm pretty sure i was trying to <laughs> i think i was trying to pitch to the albion that we should do more jake stuff having you know as in being captain and they were like yeah i don't think fans like him at the moment um so there is so there is that um you know that there's always that period where he sort of gets into that, but I don't think it's now. I really don't. I, you know, I back him to, you know, pull his socks up and pull the team up and go again Wednesday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's hope, let's hope he, he sort of, well, I can't even say bring out a better performance because I can't, I can't have thought that he was any worse than anybody else really on the pitch today. You know, he was certainly not, not, yeah, he was certainly not a player that I'd look at and go, he was particularly bad today. I think it was just collective really, but Obviously, Fulham took the lead through a penalty from Alexander Mitrovic, which was, yeah, pretty, pretty damning and, and refereeing was very questionable there. Liam, what did you, what did you make of that, that call where Bartley fouled Mitrovic? Well, the judge to have fouled him anyway.
2: Yeah, it's, I applauded it when he did it because I thought that is a great tackle. That is a proper old school Saturday morning tackle. Um, where you know where the defender's going to go. You just stick your foot in and wrap him around the back of his leg and you're going to knock the ball back into play and you're off. But obviously, and even, you know, um, the commentator said it best. It was Mitchell Richie's fault that fooled the, the referee and the, the referee's in a great position. Um, and I'm not going to take any way, anything away from Mitchell Richie's penalty because he was, you know, was great. He's not going to save that. And, you know, she won the other foot. We'd have, we'd have taken that all day. But it's... I'm not a big fan of VAR, but obviously today would have been great to have it. But saying that, these things come in, you know, swings and roundabouts. So there's going to be a period in our season where it's going to go the opposite way. We're going to get one which we probably didn't deserve and it's probably going to even itself out. But sadly, it came at a point where we were on top. We were keeping the ball. We were getting chances and Fulham were slightly on the back foot. Um, Not massively, but, you know, we were well in the game. And for a tackle that was such a good tackle. (laughs) <laughs> to be claimed as a penalty is unbelievably frustrating because you look at that, and even as a man you know, as a manager, I can imagine him saying, "That's what you've got to do." If he, you know, and Bartley knew what he was doing, he knew where he was planting his foot, he knew where that ball was going to go after he touched it. Mm. So I and the, you know, I think the commentator also said that is the referee's fourth red card in four games. Yeah. So he, so he's trigger happy. So um, doesn't sound like it's a surprise that. Um, he was willing to give a penalty or a red card today.
0: So, no, definitely not. I think I don't know if you saw, but there was a, a clip from an Italian game not uh, a few days ago where somebody made a I wouldn't say a similar t- challenge to Bartley, but he bought the ball away perfectly, and the ref just all of a sudden just blows the whistle because of the rep, the the other players fall and just sends the player the player who made the tackle off. it. was a perfect ball winning challenge, and yeah. it was like a, a sort of last ditch t- t- challenge, but. Yeah, it was it was it, it just reminded me of that from what we've seen over the past past week or so. But that, yeah, Bartley he's done really well because Mitrovic is obviously making a run uh, across him, across his body, and sort of across across Bartley's body shape, and he's done really well, as you said, to make that wrapping round sort of action and, and win the ball. But he you
2: you you can tell his stance. You can see he you know well he knows where that ball's going to go because hmm. Mitrovic is going to try and knock it to his right and cut it on his you know cut it across Sam and he knows all if i if i can get my foot in, i'll just poke it back through his legs that's exactly what he's done because he's had to wrap his leg around obviously mitch is he's naturally going to fall over his leg um which is exactly what happened and he i, I you know i'm not going to go as far as to say he died but obviously it was a, a touch dramatic but um yeah and that that's that started the downward spiral of, a, of an afternoon that was full of poor officiating really
0: yeah, well, we'll go on to we'll go on to the next one. I think with the uh, Donell Furlong's red card, I think it was for denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity. I think that's why it was given. What did you, what did you make of that particular tackle? I think it was on Harry Wilson.
2: Yeah, so it, live, I thought it was a red card. Um, personally, um, because obviously from where the where the camera is, you're quite far away and you can't see the faint touch that you can see in the close up. Um. Then you do see him touch the ball first, followed by the man's legs. And I can see why he would send him off because, I mean, he's a quick winger. If, he's, if he gets that ball and Darnell doesn't, he's through on goal. He's going to take it. Um, so it's kind of, I don't like to sit on the fence and say it should or it shouldn't, but I am kind of have to because it's, it's, how you, it's how you interpret that tackle, really. I mean, he does touch the ball first, then he gets the man. Yes, he is. Oh, actually, I can't remember. Was he was he the last man? I think
0: he was just, just about the last man. I think Semi had stepped forwards, I think, a little bit. Stepped and Darnell was left yeah. at the back with 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 Wilson.
2: And the thing is, if he would have left it or missed timed that and completely missed the ball completely, yes, he would have been through. So it's
0: a tough one. Yeah, it, it's I'm certainly not sure. certainly not as clear cut as the penalty, really, as as to what the right decision was. I just felt that I think that Furlong's got a little bit of a... He's got the stud on the ball, really, and he's sort of, like, sort of rolled it at Harry Wilson, in a way. And Harry Wilson has... It looks like Harry Wilson's just come and taken it and Furlong's cleared him out. So you can see from the referee seeing it from behind has just seen it as he's just clattered him and he's going in on goal. Yeah,
2: exactly. And obviously, like I said, from where we're sitting watching it on TV, you know, my first instant, my first thought was, yes, it's a red card because he's clattered him. Um... And the ref's only going to have one view, view of it as well. So if he's only got that one chance to look at it, he's probably going to send him off. Um, you know, because I think he actually got his next red card bang on. Um, and I know that sounds, you know, cliche that the fan is going with the ref's decision when it's for their team. But I think he definitely got the first one, the second one, right. The first one, I'm not so sure. sure. Mm,
0: yeah, it was a worrying re- referee.
2: Yeah, but it does make me think of right wing back. Who's gonna step in and you know? Yeah, I was I was claim, actually, claim I've, actually, I've actually got
0: that down. Who who would you who do you think you'd you'd stick in, in, in that mix for the right wing back? Because we don't have a I wouldn't say a natural replacement to play there.
2: We don't have a natural replacement. Um would we look to Keane, who we brought in?
0: Mm, yeah, potentially possibly, possibly Brian, I suppose Taylor Gardner yeah. Hickman could could be in the mix. Was, there's been talk about him potentially coming into a wing back position should there be injuries or suspension.
2: Yeah. Although it's strange because we've been playing Matt Phillips in a couple of the games as striker, um, a few games this season. Mm. But actually, there was a period of time where we played him at wing back. Yeah. So we may be forced because of his pace and his agility to force him to go and sit and play wing back because he can pop a ball in from anywhere. Um, Obviously, we're going to lose the throw-in threat. But if we've got somebody who can whip a ball in like Matt, still in that same position, and have an extra attacking midfielder on the pitch, then I would possibly think about putting Matt to right back.
0: Yeah, right. It's, a good, it's a good shout, actually. I, I suppose there's a few options in there. Key and Brian, obviously, was was so good at that sort of over, overlapping centre-back at Sheffield Sheffield United when he got, when he got the yeah, chance yeah. to play. So he's obviously used to marauding up and down the right-hand side. And then Matt Phillips, as you mentioned there, I think he's played there played there a few times and then uh, um, Taylor Gardner-Hickman is another one who you, you might opt to bring in or uh, if, if you fancy a, a sort of younger option. But it's definitely a bit of a conundrum for, for Ismail. But um, Liam, where did things ultimately go wrong for you in, in this particular fixture?
2: Um, I think it was, the, it was giving them the space to play. Fulham have probably got the best footballing side in the league when they, you know when they keep the ball. And we allowed them to do it. And the, the thing is, when, when you allow teams who've got that sort of uh, ability to keep that amount of possession, I and mean, I know we've had teams where we've faced where we've had 25 possession in the whole game, we've still come away with a win. But the problem is he's giving it away to somebody who's got a, f- a striker in form like Mitrovic, who's on, mm. I think the commentator said afterwards, he's on course to get 49 goals this season. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is give him any space. doesn't matter where it is on the pitch. Um and we gave them too much room to ping a ball over the top. And I was hoping have, we would have learned from our mistakes at Swansea that if you're going to play our high line, you've got to stick on that last man and make sure he's, you know, or if you, you're going to step up when you do it. And we didn't do it at any, at any time. And we, they were just, I mean, if you think of their centre-back, was just pinging balls over the top. Every time he could, uh, Robinson was doing exactly the same. Anytime he got a chance, let me straight over. Um, you know, which is a good tactic. Because I would if I saw you know, an opposition playing a high line, I would, say to the, I would say to my lads, do exactly the same. Get it over there, force them to run backwards. Um, because, yes, they've got big blokes for, you know, set pieces to defend against, which we did. We did that mm-hmm. absolutely fine. Uh, they look like no threat from set pieces whatsoever. One thing they're going to struggle at is balls over the top, and that was exactly that. And we did nothing to combat it at all. No, it it's... Moderate. Yeah, and, it just... And it, and, it, and it came to fruition, so
0: yeah it just seems to be the same the same kind of things i think I think one thing for me that stands out is ball retention. I just feel I know we're not really going to be a possession based side, but it just doesn't seem as if we are capable of just keeping the ball and just having a little spell of possession it, it just seems like it's as soon as we get it it has to go forward and it has to go forward straight away and then it kind of just ends up coming straight back
2: which is which is a tactic because it's I keep saying this we've got we've got the quality to keep that ball, retain that ball, play football. But it's, it's a direct tactic by the coaches, you know, and the manager that when you get it, that ball's got to go forward quick. You could see that from the first five games of the season. That's exactly what he wanted to do. Problem is, is that because we have been found out um, with how uh, teams can play in behind us, those balls aren't working half as well as they used to. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to find a way to combat that. Fortunately, we, you know, we were doing it against Bristol City, but they were poor. Um yeah. You know, and Bristol City would say about themselves you know they weren't coming expecting anything from from us um, but when you come up against a team like that today it felt like you just needed to keep it a bit longer um just so you, just so you get a bit of a foothold into the game because so I don't think there was any real period apart from the first 10 minutes of the second half where it looked like okay we can keep the ball a little bit make some chances and we started to amp it up again before obviously the, the furlong incident but yeah, I think I think you're right. Ball ball retention would have been good. Um and I, you know, you know, I still play football. And it's a case of what I always say to to our lads, you know, just keep the ball a bit, just get yourself into it, get your foot on the ball, get a, that bit of confidence. And you could tell that, especially with Snodgrass's goal, that confidence, I say it was confidence, it was a misplaced pass, but there was no there was nobody there to come and collect the ball. Um, everyone had peeled away from him. And obviously his last option was okay, I'll pass it back to Sam Johnson. Yes, he got it wrong. But why was everybody so far away from him? It was a case of um, Clark had put Tenzin in a bad position here to then get rid of it, get a bit closer together, do short two two yard passes, get the ball break, mm. and it was like, okay, well when we're going to keep it, let's not try and make a mistake and actually, you know, we ended up making a really bad error. But um, hopefully, he can that's something he can work on the training ground with, correct? And <laughs> let's see what happens with that high line when we don't have Furlong at the back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll now head over to get the thoughts of a Fulham fan and the host of the Fulham-ish podcast, which is Sammy James, who I'm sure will be absolutely delighted with this result for Fulham. Me and Liam will be back straight after the break to chat about the upcoming fixture this week against Hull City and also a little bit of Halloween fun at the end. But yeah, over to you, Sammy.
1: Hey guys, Sammy here from the Fulhamish podcast with some opposition reactions yesterday's game. And as you can imagine, absolutely delighted with how it went from a Fulham perspective. I was confident going into the match. I looked at West Brom's form. I looked at our form and I just think player for player that this Fulham team on their day is a little bit stronger than what you've got. I think you've got some fantastic players in there. I think you've got some very, very dangerous options up front. The fact that you guys can bring players like Dean Garner and Callum Robinson off the bench um, is a show of your attacking strength, but I just felt like in midfield, we were always going to have Good day with the lineup that we went with. Harrison Reed, John McHelsey, you don't get too many better midfield pivots um, at this level. And I think they were the ones that bossed the game yesterday and meant that we got the results that we did. John McHelsey is an absolute superstar at this level. He was sensational yesterday. Harrison Reed's industry was also fantastic. And I think it was their work rate that was the difference yesterday. Obviously, Alexander Mitrovic is the man that got all the headlines and rightly so. Another hat-trick, 18 and 15. I genuinely think he may be the greatest player that's ever graced the championship. Um, Particularly on this form, he seems particularly unstoppable. And I don't think West Brom will be the last team that he gets two or three goals against this season. Uh, Obviously, I imagine you guys are livid about the penalty decision. It was soft. I can't dress it up any other way. I don't think that Bartley fouls Mitrovic. I think it's a bit of a clumsy tackle and and had the potential to be a penalty, but he definitely gets more of the ball than the man. I will caveat that though, that the challenge that Bartley then made on a doy immediately afterwards, whilst I don't think it was a Stonewall pen was much more of a potential penalty decision than the one on Mitrovic, but the whistle had kind of been blown by that point. Did that have a factor? Who knows? I'll obviously take it all day long. It it sends us on our way. And I think once we are ahead at Craven cottage, we're particularly tough to play against the second goal. I I mean, from a West Brom perspective, you must be livid. It was good pressure by John McHale, on snodgrass. And also you need a striker like Mitrovic who sniffs danger like that. Most strikers wouldn't have had the anticipation to, to get to that back pass. And it probably, you'd probably get away with it against most teams in this division, but with Alexander Mitrovic on the form he is, he'll take gifts like that all day long. And that really set us on our way. As for the other reffing decisions, obviously that red card for furlong made a massive difference. I was a bit worried about you guys getting back into the match at that point, but once you went down to 10 men and two goals down, there was no way we were throwing it away. I thought it was a red personally. I think that furlong got a lot more of the man than the ball and Wilson clearly was last man. And I think it was the correct decision. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys disagree with that as well, but I think that it was the right call on that. Adrobio red absolutely the right call as well modern game you go in studs up on the ankle like that for the last couple of seasons it's been a red card and and continues to be and we'll miss him for the next uh three games i thought west broms performance was pretty poor personally i was expecting much more of a threat from you guys particularly up th- up front i thought that you'd um play a much more intense press than you did. I know that Fulham have the ability to get round a press, but I think the way that Coventry pressed us so well a few weeks ago when we lost 4-1, I expected to see something similar um from West Brom, but it wasn't really there. You allowed us to play quite a lot, which I always think is a bit of a recipe for disaster. And personally, I the way that the championship is now Bournemouth first fulham second west brom's third is kind of how i see it remaining i think that the four point cushion is massive we've got a fairly good run of fixtures in um november uh, mostly against teams in the bottom four or five so if, if fulham can get keep on this win of runs then i think fulham can edge away from west brom if I'm being honest, but like, there's a lot of football to play. We've still got to go to the Hawthorns, and I know that's a bit of a fortress for you guys. I'm certainly not counting my chickens yet, but certainly feeling good about Fulham's chances of finishing in the top two after yesterday. So best luck for the me- next few matches and uh, chat again later in the season.
0: Right. Thank you very much to Sammy for sending in that clip. And of course, you can check out the Fulhamish podcast via the link in the description of this episode. But it's now time to chat about the next game hosting Hull City at the Hawthorns on Wednesday night, with our home record being completely parallel to our recent away record after losing three on the bounce away from home. Surely, Liam, there has to be a bit of a reaction to this defeat.
2: Oh, yeah, I think, I think they will be. I think I said earlier in the show that, um, you know, I can see us running away with a result on on wednesday night um i think i think he's got i think he's got a plan for at home where we tend to we tend to don't give teams too much space i mean if you look at the fulham game and you look at the swansea game uh especially in the second half we we gave them too much time on the ball you know they they've got the the ability to do that and i think when we're at home what i've noticed is that we sit we tend to close down a bit quicker the way we did in the first five games Um, and there's just that you know we talk about the 12th man i think our fans definitely do that at home away from home our fans are tremendous but i don't i don't know what it is it's just almost as if the fan the the players you know uh, they i think they need to pick up on the energy a little bit more um and i i, I genuinely do i think it will be a, you know a pretty similar game to the bristol city one on wednesday i think it will be you know i think we'll i think we'll run away with it um, you know and keep a clean sheet because you know, they'll want to perform and they'll want to make sure that they, um, you know, they get back on track. Um, Hull are not in a particularly good place at the moment either. I don't think, um, obviously on paper, quality he speaks volumes of our team in comparison. Mm. Um, and, you know, there should be no reason why we can't go and, you know, and um, press on for a really good result on Wednesday night. The thing he's got to now tackle with, obviously with Furlong being out, is we talked about it, who's going to come in the right wing back. Um, and, you know, we need to get, you know, people like Grant back in the game who looked like a ghost today. He was, you know, mm. I, I say shadow of his former self, but he's been in terrific form. Um, and it's, it's a shame that we didn't play to his strengths at any point today. Um, mm. But I don't think we were able to with the way that Fulham set up and the way we set up. It didn't seem like it was going to be a day where strik- strikers were going to be involved half as much. You know, Hugo didn't really, if you can, you can you recall at any point either one of them having a strike on goal, if any. No no definitely not no. no so so again so it's i think it's almost as if we've got a tactic for at home and a tactic for away one is working one isn't yeah and it's it, 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 you know and i think a lot of fans are getting on val's back and saying you know his taxi aren't working but they're clearly working in one direction but he needs to figure out the second one and he you know i think we were running off a complete complete um at the beginning of the season, which is why results would go in for us away from home as well, and other teams were just getting settled. But it's starting to fall into place now that because we've been figured out away from home that their 12th man is going to jump on our back. So they're going to be willing to press, um, get balls over the top, which they have been doing scoring goals. And we, at no point in our last three away games, have looked like scoring. Yes, we scored one goal. Again, I said it was a mistake by Swansea. Um, But other than that, not much. So I think it will be a return to form at home. Um, same as we, we've done in the last couple of games, um, and it will be a case of well, where do we go from there?
0: Yeah, it's it's it, uh, it's going to hopefully be a bounce back. I, I I agree with you. I think it's going to be very similar to the Bristol City game. Hull, obviously, we're recording whilst they're playing at the moment, but they're currently one nil down at Coventry. Have been doing very well this season, so yeah. possibly another defeat for them. And they're not, as you mentioned, in the relegation zone. Not in a good place at the moment, so. Could hopefully be the case of, of Bristol City again. But in terms of the lineup, what would you change? Or if, you, if anything, I think, well, obviously, it's going to have to be one change, definitely at right wing back. But what would you do differently, personnel wise, ahead of this game?
2: Um, I'd potentially bring in, uh, it's a tricky one because and I know people, a lot of people jump on Hugh back as well. But he will run, run, and run. And Callum will do exactly the same. It's, but they're completely different players. And I think if you're gonna play against a a team like Hull who are who aren't dissimilar to Bristol City, I think I would probably stick with Hugo actually. And bring because Hull are gonna get tired quick. And you know, bring, you know, when you get to that 60, 70 mark, um, Robinson coming on with a fresh pair of legs, he's gonna he's gonna run rings around them when he gets the chance to. And if we're in a commanding point by then, he's gonna, you know, just make it all the more difficult for them. So I can see him sticking with with Jordan, um, and I and I can see why. I would potentially, um, I potentially mix things up maybe in the middle of the park, um, but again, you know, and I think Gary Neville said this a while back, uh, if I remember it rightly. If you've got a manager who's coming in and they've got a philosophy, you're going to have to stick with it for a while before that philosophy, you know, cements itself among all the all the uh, all the team. You know, we're just over a quarter of the way through the season, and it's cemented itself in areas and not in others. Um, but he seems to be playing, you know, he's got a way he wants to play. He wants the players who he wants. And you know, For example, he said before the game, Jake's my captain. Jake's going to play. Mm. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm all for it. If that's his captain and he's going to be the leader, great. And, you know, nine times out of ten, he'll show that. And he'll get that bit between his teeth and we'll go for it. And, you know, the players will want to rally around him. But I think he definitely is the chance for Malumbi to come in and have a go. Um, because against, you know, a weak whole side, by all means come and do and show what you can do. Um, and then potentially give a headache for Val afterwards and say, Well, actually, you know, going into Middlesbrough, I think, is the one after. Mm-hmm. Following yeah. Saturday, yeah. Right. Middlesbrough, then give him a give him a headache for Middlesbrough because every team is different. You know, Middlesbrough are a lot more of a physically, you know, uh, battling side. And I think that would then suit more Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would potentially just say, Well, look, you know have a rest, come back, be the captain you need to be against Middlesbrough potentially and give Molumbi a run out on Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, as we saw, Molumbi is really good against Bristol, who are obviously in bad form and a, seem to be a struggling side at the moment. So potentially coming in and doing the same thing against Hall could be a, a very good thing, thing for us. But yeah, let's go into a, a little bit of fun now, Liam, for this episode. Let's go in for a little bit of spooky fun here on the Baggies Podcast. as it is Halloween weekend after all. So we're going to chat a little bit about the most shocking players. And I think, Liam, you've got a, a particularly shocking moment for us for, from an Albion fan's perspective. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what that
2: is? Yeah, um, I, just, you know, fans might be able to jump in and remind me who the opposition was at the time, but it was um, it was Carnus miss from two yards. Um, I think we were, in, were we in the Premier League at the time. I think it might have been one of our, second season back um, and I, it might have, I, th- I think it was actually against Fulham at the Hawthorns and I think he was two yards out he could have rolled it off of any part of his body and it was harder to miss than it was to score um, and he somehow managed to get it up and over the bar when he's standing here and the goal is there <laughs> and he was from his lower areas when he somehow managed to loop up and over the bar and we I think everybody in the ground would celebrate it before he'd even touched the ball because they knew he's only got to bounce off him and it's gone in and it was—I think it ended up being on Soccer AM or something for the miss of the season—and it was horrendous. Um, and every time I think, you know, cause I've, I've got some uh, friends because I lived in South. So I've got some Portsmouth friends, and they always talk about how they used to love Carno. And uh, I was like, "Yeah, he's great, but I, the one miss will just haunt me forever." Because <laughs> <we, laughs> it was—it was shocking. And uh, yeah, go on, if you—if you guys can remember that, go and have a watch, and you'll see why it's so scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like a—it's it's not what I remember. Particularly, but that is that is a pretty pretty horrifying miss by the sounds of things. But Liam, do you have a a player that that kind of haunts you, who's played in a West Bromwich Albion shirt?
2: Um, not particularly. I know I I know there was a lot of people who I used to sit next to when I was younger who uh, were. Not big fans of Scott Carson, and they used to haunt. He used to haunt them a lot. <laughs> um, I think he was going when he was going through his rough patch, and uh, he was the scapegoat of those couple of those couple of seasons. Um, and they were horrified every time he was named in the team sheet, even though he was our only goalkeeper really at the time.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so I don't know what else they were expecting, but um, there was. I mean, there was no real. I can't recall any real shockers um, that probably you know didn't really live up to the hype um have you got any my strike the memory i've got i've got one from my own personal perspective
0: which will be marcus rosenberg which was a a player that yeah yeah, it gives me the shivers just just sort of thinking about him playing for Albion. to be honest yeah I, i saw a tweet about um chris brunt obviously doing one of those those nights where he answers fans questions and stuff and he says that marcus rosenberg was probably the best one of the best players in training that he's ever seen and then all of a sudden came to a match day and it still went all went to pieces look. yeah which I think is really odd and I can't I can't picture him being a, a regular goal scorer in training considering what we saw on a match day do you do you remember him him much Liam yeah
2: yeah well I, I, I'm of the of the past that he plays you know for our club I remember but um yeah it was sort of but it was also in in the period of time where we were we were starting to uh we were starting to struggle a little bit um I think it was around the same, same sort of years where we, I think we had a couple of games in a row where we were scoring three and conceding three from three 0 up. Mm. I don't know if you remember those few Yes, seasons. yeah, they were, they I were, remember yeah. Cardiff, Cardiff. Um,
0: and there was a was there a West Ham as well that we ended up we ended up Mark Noble, I think scored a really late penalty, and we'd been like three, three possibly even four 0 up all the way through the game, and they came back. Yeah:
2: Yeah, it was a, I think it was the period, I think it was the uh, towards the end of the Berejino reign. When that started to happen, um, and we started getting three nil up and just absolutely collapsing, and managers were looking for any player to turn to to change things around. and mm-hmm. I think that was in amongst the time where Rosenberg sort of came into the you know came into the uh the dressing room and nothing happened even when he was there, um, which is a shame, but um, you know, being an Albion fan is like being on a roller coaster, and we know what's coming every time somebody comes in and what you know what we're supposed to expect from them, um but yeah well i think we're still you know hopefully grants the answer to that um but for this season especially with his with his goals contribution but yeah let's uh, let's see what all the fans think of their scariest moments yeah there are a <laughs>
0: few there are a few in there that i must must say to the listener these are very heavily influenced by today's game i made the grave error of putting them out putting this tweet out at half-time asking for contributions and here's a little bit of how how they how they kind of went so We've got one in here first that says he's currently playing up front for us, which was just, before, I think, just uh, just at halftime. So that would have obviously been Jordan Hugill at the time there. Yeah. We've got uh, another one in here from, from Dave who says, Hugill has just moved in ahead of Stuart Evans, who I can't say is a player that I remember, particular, I remember at all. But uh, yeah, we've got one in from Kieran who says, Zahor. Um, we've got one from Bob. Uh, who says um, Paul Williams? But Zahor and Hugo are pressing him now. So Zahor and Hugo, I think, were were equal winners there. But I, I must say that that is very heavily influenced by today's game uh, for certain. I think I think I'd, I
2: think I'd agree with him on. So I think more more so is Zahor, was the fact that you know having heard what Cardiff City fans had said about him and seeing you know what he could do in that season in the Championship, he was you know, they said he was the, you know, the best thing to slice bread and he was tremendous. You know, he would beat players, his finishing was top notch and he looked like he had all the ability to come and do that for us. You know, when he started off, well, I think he scored a penalty against Reading to get us an equaliser two seasons ago and it looked like, okay. well, you know, we've got somebody on our hands then. And then from there, it just started to, there was a few, you know, hits and misses. I know he hit the bar against Brentford that season as well and he'd come close and, you know, and those two inches could have made the difference to, you know, because goals made uh, you know, changed the careers of strikers and um, especially confidence levels. And it just looked like he never got that confidence back. Um, and, you know, he went off to Millwall and I think Shakur and retweeted uh, uh, the, the season's worst miss. Yeah, the corner uh, stri- flag, <laughs> yeah. But I, think, I think it went out for a throw-in and he was like two yards outside the 18-yard area. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I think, I think... The ability is always in these players because they wouldn't be professional footballers if they didn't have it in them from the start. It's just it feels like something's got to give and he didn't have it and doesn't have it at the moment. But you know, down the line he might have to have it for somebody else.
0: Yeah, I think that that miss that you mentioned there kind of summed up Kenneth the Hall for West Bromwich Albion. He did a really nice sort of scoop turn to to make his way past a couple yeah, of yeah. defenders and then all of a sudden unleashes that that shot that sort of a P roller out for out for a throw in but yeah Zahor is is not one I think I thought he was going to be all right this season I thought he might actually have a part to play I thought he was going to be in at least on the bench for most games but I think that that performance against Luton I think he came on I think he only came on for the last 15 minutes and I think that was that was quite damning really from for, for Albion fans and he got a lot of stick after that if you remember rightly yeah yeah I do yeah, it was a little bit worrying, really. The yeah, the stick that he got, but yeah, that's uh, those are some spooky West Brom players and some shocking, shocking moments. And one there from you, Liam, about Carney. I think uh, I'm sure West Brom fans will be quick to comment about that one and their memories from that. But a massive thank you, Liam, for joining me on the show today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you about the Fulham game, the Hall game, and also a few spooky moments in there as well. Thank you very much for coming on.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolute pleasure. But that does bring me to the end of the Backies podcast for this week. A big thank you for listening. Please feel free to let me know your spooky moments and spooky memories from players in the comments section below. And let me know your thoughts on the Fulham and the Hall games. And we'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.